Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Date, and well, you see where we're at today. 
um, we, um, not long after that at all, um, decided that it was time to take the next step and get married. And I'm just going to share some memories of what I have, but, but I want to project to you the reason I feel the way I do. Um, but we went to the Boyds to meet, and that's when they lived in the little trailer, and we were going to ask them, you know, what they thought about it. But as we drove up their driveway, I realized that we needed to talk and say a few words to each other before we went in there. And so we both agreed, you, you know, just without even a hesitation, that if the Boyds did not say that they felt like this was the will of God, then there would we would wait, or we would do whatever they advised us to do. And we both agreed on that. When we walked in the house, sat down on the couch, it was, I had to take a few minutes to take in the trailer because it was just beautiful. But, um, and I was trying to think of where I wanted to live and how I wanted to decorate. But, um, <laughs> but and we had such similar taste. Can you believe that? Um, and so their first words were like, we have been praying about this, and we've been thinking about this, and we think that this is the will of God. And so we took a big, deep breath, because that's what we had felt. Um, and that day, we began to build a room. We began to build a room. Not long after that, when we got married, and several months into our marriage, we began to have miscarriages. And they were there. And then we had Jackie. And that did not go as planned. But um, I'll never forget um, sitting in the back a few services after um, her funeral and just being so distraught, not knowing what to do, feeling so many emotions. And I went, I looked up at Everett, he was in the sound booth, and I said, can you get your mom to bring you home? Because I need to go home. And he said, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I just need to go home. And I walked out on the porch, and Sister Bobby was late, Sister Bobby Bias. And she said, Sister Cricket, don't leave where your strength lies. I'll never forget that night. But about that time, I took down a couple steps, and Sister Boyd, I heard her call me. And she said, come talk to me. I said, no, I just want to go home. And she said, Sister Cricket, come on, let's go in the office and let's talk. I don't know if you remember all this. But she almost picked a fight with me because she knew I needed to get some things out. And that was wisdom because she just kept like nipping at me. She knew what I needed. I didn't know what I needed, but she did. And that was the night we laid some bricks. We laid some bricks to our home. Message after message, more wood came up, more bricks. Surgery after surgery, we added some windows. Service after service, we put on a roof. Day after day, we added a door and we hung up a welcome sign. We knew, just like this woman, that this was a holy man of God and a holy woman of God. And we needed them in our lives. As often as they would pass by, we needed them. God allowed them to pass by our way several times in our lives 
on occasions we didn't look for, nor did we want always, but they would come by with just a word or just to eat a piece of bread, but they traveled by our way. We wanted them to feel comfortable enough to come in every time and give us whatever it was we needed. See, the woman and the man built a room, and the Bible says, on the wall. And if you research that word, it says permanent. It was a permanent wall. If the Lord took me somewhere else, like to Madison, they still have a room in my life because I built it on the wall of my heart. See, the woman and the man built it because they wanted him there. And that's what we have to do, church. We have to want them in our lives. They'll be there. They'll be there. Rain or shine, they'll be there day or night. But we've got to build that room. We've got to allow that. When we open our hearts and our lives and our home to you both, we ask God to lead you and guide you as you were an influence on Jericho. We build a room and we allowed you to speak into our lives. We gave you trust and I hope you put trust in us. The scripture tells us that they added a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. These were all things to make their job easier. His job when he was there was to rest and probably to study and, and get with the Lord and those were things that he needed and that's what we have to do for them. We have to make them comfortable when they come. Not every word they've spoken to us has been easy. Not to hear. I'm just telling you, it's just part of a pastor, just like a, a parent. It's not always hard, I mean easy to say those things to your child, but they're needful. And so they've spoken into our lives good things, and they've been there through everything, everything. Maybe not in physical, but we knew that they were only a call away. We built a room to allow them to pastor us and to speak into our lives and to make his job easier. It wasn't that long ago, about six years, that I had had a major surgery that was not expected. It was supposed to be just to go in and fix a quick thing and get out. Planned to go home that day. Thirteen days later, I walked out of North Fort Regional. I was overwhelmed. That was two major surgeries in less than a year. And I had went to my doctor and I was filling up with fluid. So they had to re, um, replace some drainage tubes and it just got over overwhelming to me. I was driving down the road coming back from town actually from the doctor's appointment and stopped in town and was coming on and I got overwhelmed. And when I say overwhelmed church, I mean overwhelmed. My first thought was of course from the devil that said, why don't you just wrap this pickup truck around a tree? Everybody would be better off. Your husband would be better off because of all these doctor bills and the things that go through your mind and everybody's been there. I'm not alone. I'm just the one that's in front of the mic. But the things that were going through my mind, and I was like, God, I don't know what to do. I just really don't know what to do. And if you don't give me a sign today, I don't know what I'm going to do. I looked across, 
across at the birds because I had got back towards about our road. And I saw a pickup that looked like Brother Boyd's. And I said, God, if that's not my pastor, I don't know what I'm going to do by the end of this day. Only you know. And as I got out of my truck and run, went around, Brother Boyd walked out of the front. And he saw me. And he saw what shape I was in. And it was a divine intersection. Because Brother Boyd doesn't even know, I don't think until this day, what the devil was telling me to do. But he looked at me and he said, what's wrong, sis? And I said, I'm just overwhelmed, Brother Boyd. I'm just overwhelmed. He said, what happened? I said, nothing. I'm just overwhelmed. That's all I could say and cry. And he said, well, let's pray. And he took my hand and we began to pray. And a spirit of peace came over me. And I could think straight again. And he said, I don't even know why I'm here. He said, I was at the red light. And I was going to town and something just said, turn and come to the birds. He said, when I walked in, I told Derek and them, I don't know why I'm here, but I'll look around. But God knew why he was there. That welcome sign was on my door. And he was able to minister to me. You see, if we build a room... When he passes by our way, he'll be there for us. It's not saying we've always seen eye to eye. It's not saying that the road's been easy, because I'm a handful, and I don't listen very well. And I kind of like to be in charge, in case you didn't notice that last night. But I built a room. And there's two men that have led me spiritually along the way, and that's my husband by making me do things I really don't want to do. And my pastor that says, Sister Cricket, it's really up to you. Sometimes we don't like the things that we go through in life, and sometimes they're not what we would have picked, but thank God he gives us people to go through the journey with. God has divinely placed us here together. That's no doubt about it in my mind. I never intended to move from Arbondale. I always seemed that I would stay there and be something used in that church, but God knew better. He gave my daddy a word that said, move to Hatchpen, and I fought it. I remember going to the first Pine Tree Festival with Sister Lana, and they threw trees at us, and I said, oh my God, what have I done? Because I knew, and then Sister Jessie come and come uh, several times ago, and she said, Sister Cricket, you married into this. You're stuck here. <laughs> and I thought, you're right. You're right. But we have been blessed over the last 23 years. We have been blessed to have the Boyds for the last 30. I have been blessed to be a part of it, and I thank you.
appreciate them and what they've accomplished and what the church has accomplished. And, and I know uh, that it has not been easy. Um, it is one thing that really saddens me, um, really, is when someone just says, you know, in fact, I've seen it in the last couple of weeks, you know, the guy had on his shirt, and it, it, it goes something like this, you know, I used to be a people person until the people earned it, you know, so it, it doesn't matter where you go or what you involve yourself in, people is just going to be people, but those when they come to church and say, if that's what God is like, or if that's what that church is like, and they associate it with one person, and, but that is really hurtful to me, and that's what sometimes happens. And, um, and God takes a lot of the blunt for that when he has nothing to do with it. But um, my family has always been kind to me. Uh, I have um, suffered, and I don't use that word lightly, but through the years with migraines. And my sons, my wife has been very kind of if I've had one, to keep them quiet. And the other way that goes is if I have an appointment with this desk, that is also the leave me a long time. And that is just something that she has took care of and my sons has respected that. And what I wanted to say to brother and sister Boyd, um, I just, you know, and I will liken, I have likened motocross all through the years. You may have not liked or not appreciated the illustrations, but here again, let me use one more. In racing motocross, I don't even know if you know what it is, but it's a very rough sport. And if you're doing this, and if you're doing this as your job, you are, if you crash, you are spit off at a high rate of speed, you are vulnerable to be hurt. But this is your livelihood. You have to get back up in an instant, get back on your bike, and go because you were being passed. And um, I know because I'm people. So he walks in, and somebody, without thinking, I've joked with him before. And if I have something to tell him, I do not mention it till after church. And But somebody... Um, you know, just comes in and just explodes their world right before he walks in and and not meaning to. I don't mean that wrong. It's just like the guy that just got spit off his bike and I always, the joke I've always made with that, I get up wondering what day it is. But he has to walk here and at the times that life has just knocked you down and at the, the times that you have walked in that your world was turned upside down you walk to this pulpit and minister it and we think, man, ain't God good. I want to say thank you. Thank you to Sister Boyd. Because we never knew it. We never knew that everything was upside down and everything was like, it just was raging inside. Because it's like, we just can't say, well, that's his job. That's not your job. That's your calling. And God will make a way and... And so in doing that, I, I just remember it's just, and really, I, I, I've never told you this, but when uh, you and Sister Boyd and Justin was here for a while, and then when y'all left to go 
officially leave to go evangelize the building that used to be there. I went out there and stood by that building and watched y'all drive off to you. And I, I spoke to Justin last night and I said, I, I really don't know. If you'd ask me, why did you do this? I really don't know. But just feeling an attachment. I just stood there and I watched y'all till you just went out of sight. Justin was one year old at the time. I asked Sister Boyd and y'all y'all left. And I, I remember doing that. You know, y'all was here and you left and I'm thinking, I didn't know what to think, you know. But I remember a message you preached. You come here and... This was when you were still evangelizing out of 2 Corinthians. Seeing therefore we have this ministry. This is not about the man standing by here. This is about us. We want to be saved. We have this ministry. If we're not the church that thinks that it's all placed on him. He is the leader that God has ordained to put here. We are the ones that help do this. So we have that. Now, I have one Old Testament and one New Testament. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed in the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Now, this is, if you're wondering when, when this is, this is approximately two months after they had left the Exodus. They have left Egypt, they get out, and the people is bickering because there's no water. I mean, what would you do? If you was thirsty, you're in the desert, and there's no water to drink. So the people is actually getting mad. They not only have no water for them, they have no water for their livestock. But what gets the Lord angry, and we have it in Bible, is this is what the Bible says, they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? They had just seen everything that Moses did. All the plagues, him putting out the rod of God, splitting the water, and then they say, you know, tell us Moses, is God with us or not? Well, God was going to make a visible demonstration to prove that that day and he did now verse 8 then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim now this is the very first battle that Israel faced Amalek was the strongest of that time in that in the peninsula there they was the strongest of the people they came without provocation and they attacked Israel they come up they attacked them now, they, they did this. Now, in Moses, in verse 9, Moses introduces us to a man that we've never heard of before, never mentioned in the Bible until this point. And Moses said unto Joshua, this is the first time he's mentioned, choose us out men and go and fight with Amalek. And listen what he says, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Here it says the rod of God. The Bible defines the rod as two things, the rod of Moses and the rod of God. So that's the way it's classed. It's sometimes it's spoke as the rod of God and the rod of Moses. But 
He says, I will go to the hill, and then he's going to take him. I will fight. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now, we know the story. What happened is when Moses raised his hands, Israel prevailed. When Moses' hands was heavy, the enemy overcame them. So I think that he was telling them, now, he tells them, that his hands was heavy. I believe it's no coincidence that God anointed Moses and told him, you take two people with you, one for each side to the top of the hill. So when Israel told uh, Moses, tell us, is God with us or not? God told Moses, you go to the top of the hill where they can visibly see you and let this happen. You take the rod. When they don't support you, the enemy is going to overtake you. If they will give you support, then you will overcome the enemy. That is a visible demonstration. They want to know if I'm with you, I'll prove it to them. And God did that by doing this. So he tells them this. And then the Bible says, The Lord said unto Joshua, Write this for a memorial in a book. Now, not only did God answer their question, Write this for a memorial in a book. This is the first time in Scripture, the first battle, this is the first time in Scripture that is recorded for, for them to write something down. God said, you write it down, and this is what he said, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of, Am of Amalek from under heaven. Why? This is my belief why he said rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. This was a unified effort. They're only two months into their 40-year senate, so to speak. So a lot is going to happen. But Moses was the man of God. Moses was the leader. But God told Moses, write this down. Make it for a memorial. Tell it to the children of Israel. But rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. God knew at that time Moses wasn't going to lead the people into the promised land. It was going to be Joshua. So God said from this day, don't let this memory go without it being written down. Do not forget this. This has to be remembered. And in doing this, I will prove I will do this. So the Bible says that Moses built an altar and called it the name of Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that he would have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now we read in the Bible nowhere that Moses offered sacrifices, animal sacrifices on this altar. Jehovah Nissi is only missing one time in the Bible and that's here. The Lord is my banner. So, it was a unified effort. They had to have Moses. They had to have Aaron and Hur supporting Moses. They had to have Joshua. They had to have the warriors. They had, the, had to have the people in the camp, therefore praying. It was not just Moses on the top of the mountain. God instructed him, you go there. You let all of Israel see you that when you have the support that you need, that you will gain the victory because the, they had just started and already they're attacked. And God said, I will not forget this so you don't forget this. That is why that the prophet went to Saul and said, 
at this point, in this point, fast forward 400 years, and Samuel goes to Saul, and he tells him a completely human thing that God had told him. I remember that which Amalek did. At that time, it was 400 years ago, but God hadn't forgot it. They may have forgot it, but God hadn't. God said, I ain't letting this go. They attacked you with no cause. That is why what Sister Cricket said, I will back up. And then sometimes physical keeps us from the church. But when we have spiritual issues, we have to have the body. So here is a biblical example. It took all of them to win this battle. And in winning this battle, God said, don't forget it. Write this down. Keep this. Rehearse this. Tell it to your children. Don't let this go without it being recorded because we have to have this. And what I wanted to say is that it was something that the whole camp of Israel accomplished. Now, they have 30 years, but they have not done it alone. It has been a church unified effort. Every part, every part, every part of jail ministry, every part of the prison, every other asset that goes on, every other ministry that goes forth, it takes us all. Everyone that puts forth an effort, it takes it, it just takes it. You're missed when you're not here. Spiritually, you're missed when you're not here. So we have this. Now, the other point that I wanted to make is literally the birth of the Lord. Mary, when she was, was with child, the Bible says, the angel Gabriel came to her. And he tells her that what's going to happen, basically he goes to her, tells her who it is, what the name's going to be, but what he leaves her with was fear not. And I just, I just can't imagine what must it have been like to have been in her situation at that time. Now, literally, the one thing that I didn't say that uh, applies to both is with Moses and Israel. Israel wanted to have a rock party with Moses. And I believe that's one thing that ticked God off. You want to stone my man? I'll prove to you just how much you need him. That's why God, I think God on purpose did a visual. You go to the mountain where they can see you and I'll show them how much they need you. So Mary was in a situation that could literally have her stoned. So now, and I'm not kidding on that. The Bible says that the birth of Jesus was on this wise when his mother Mary was when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before the, they came together, she was found of child with the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But he thought on these things, and behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, what I just read to you, refers to them as husband and wife. Now, we would call it an engagement, but the Bible says they were espoused to each other. At this time, <clears throat> when they was espoused, 
if they wanted to break that, they literally had to get a bill of divorcement. They was, you had to call, refer to them as husband and wife, even though they have not been, as we would say, legally married. So, but where the Bible says that not willing, that he was a just man, not willing to make a public example, Joseph had two options. Now, you don't hear much about this, but Joseph had two options. He could take her before the magistrate, have witnesses, and have Mary stoned, and be 100% in his rights. Number two, he could just say, he could just have a, uh, have a divorce, so to speak, and just have no opinion, express no opinion. In other words, specify no cause, and just say, I want to put her away privately. And that's what Joseph wanted to do so he really thought because think about it if you was at this time and you was Joseph and you're trying to explain this situation to someone and your wife your engaged wife is with child and she's telling you that she's never known a man She's still a virgin, and everything's okay. I mean, no session on the couch is going to cure this. It's going to take the Lord himself to settle him. But the Bible says, why he thought on these things. Joseph, at this time, doing the right thing, was actually the wrong thing. That's why I said you don't hear much. But Joseph really thought of divorcing Mary was the right thing. And he really thought it was the right thing to do. And what I want to relate it to is this. Is how many times in 30 years do you think we have come in these doors and situations arise in our life and we really think that according to God's will, we are doing the right thing. Only to come in and feel the spirit of God and the message of God. Just say, fear not. I know the intent is good, but you're not going exactly the way you need to go. I don't know how many times that's happened, but I know it has. Joseph really, really thought he was doing the right thing. But the angel of the Lord came to him and said, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't put her away. This was divine providence. He came to him as he thought on these things. And he says, he wasn't willing to make a public example out of Mary. Joseph said, if I just take and put her away privately, for her sake as well as mine, if we just go our separate ways, everybody will be happy, so to speak. The angel come to him and told him also to fear not. Because your wife, whatever and ever how that was done mentally in that dream, 
I'm telling you, I, I don't know how hard that would be to grasp. We, I mean, you know, I speak to the men. What if this was told to you, of your engaged wife? She was a virgin. She's with child. And the angel came into you. She will deliver the child. You got his name. It's God with us. And when she's delivered, she still will be a virgin. And yet, whatever God and his way of doing things, if he can settle a man at that time, then I'm not going to question, can he settle me? Because whatever I got going on, if he, can settle, if he can settle Joseph, he can settle my situations. Because he said, fear not. So I know in 30 years, a lot of fear nots has just touched the hearts. And for that, we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, this last... I thought about this a long time. Like I said, I just appreciate what you and Sister Boyd have done, you know, and the time you've been here. And I appreciate the church, um, everyone, every effort, every Sunday school teacher, everyone, everyone. It takes, and I just wish we could. That's why, that's why I said, and I wasn't trying to sound, you know, with a broad ego, saying we got 30 years to back, it, back this up, and I mean that. Everyone. I'm not speaking of me. I'm speaking of the church as a whole. We've put our life into this. And I just, but I've thought about this part, and... You know, who who could who could minister? And I thought of brother brother Everett Bird, and I want him to come. But Paul, in his writings, he says it like this. Well, I will say this: the first time I introduced Brother Boyd to this pulpit, I said. People has tools that they deal with. And I said, some of your finest work will be done right here. Right here. This is a pulpit. This is where God's going to anoint you. You will stand. You will study. You will sit. You will pray. And yet, when you come here, author of God will give you a voice that you never studied for. It will just be imparted, and it will be spoke to his people. So some of your finest work is done right here. And I know you're proud of us, but I thought of, of Brother Bird to have someone, and you've told us some of the story, you know, but have someone to catch the vision, and I believe that knows a little bit of the the other side of the equation when it comes to a church, 
you know, because it's not all roses, so to speak. So I, I know you're proud of us and not trying to paint him or Sister Bird in any higher fashion, but I, but I would say I know you're proud of them. And Paul, I was thinking of Paul, and I wrote this down to make sure I would get it correct. In 1 Timothy, Paul addressed him like this in the first book. He said, unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith. In his second book, to Timothy, my dearly, my dearly beloved son. You can just see, you can just see how his affection has grown to Timothy. So I want Brother Everett Bird, and I'm just an appreciation for what he's done, what the role he has taken on. I want him to come to minister and to just give us what the Lord has given him. And I'm going to ask you if you would to stand in honor to his ministry. And let's just give him a hand of appreciation if you would. Praise the Lord. You may be seated today. It's an honor to stand behind this desk at any time, but today is ultimately an honor. Especially when I was watching the pictures and all the man, men of God that is in his life. And then God, you know, Brother Rayleigh felt like that, this. And when he asked me, it was an honor, but you know, like, you know, to, to do this. And but like I say, it's still overwhelming sometimes, you know, when you stand behind this pulpit and know the messages that was preached. Just a few minutes, I just wanted to share a few minutes. My wife kind of told some of our story about our part, but I just, um, I've known Brother Boyd all my life. Like Brother Jerry said this morning, we looked up to him as, as a youth. We're always that looked up to him. And as when I was a couple of years ago when I stood before the district board and they asked me a question, they asked me one of the questions they asked me was, how long have you been going to the church and with Brother Boyd's church? And I said, well, I've been going to the church all my life. I've been going to the church. Brother Boyd's been my pastor ever since he became the pastor of the church. That was my answer, and they just kind of looked at me, and I said, well, I've been there going all my life. And that was true, but at the age of, I was 16 years old, I may have gray hair, but more gray hair than he has, but I was 16 when he became the pastor of this church. Two weeks later, I turned 17, but I was still 16. <laughs> but ever since then, he's been my pastor. I looked up to him as a youth. I looked up to him when he was evangelist. We look forward to every time, and some of the young, uh, my age group, or my youth group that was here, or my age group that was here, can say the same thing. We looked up to him when we heard that Brother Boyd was, the Boyds was coming by to evangelize. We was excited because he was one of ours. He was somebody that grew up with us. And, we, and so I enjoyed that, and I remember that as many times as, as he evangelized and came by here they, when he became our pastor. I was backslidden, like a lot of teenagers do when they came here. I came to church because my mom and dad made me come to church. But that was mainly the reason I was here. But not long after they came, I prayed back through, standing right in front of that door under their ministry. And not long after that, it was me and my wife, me and my wife met and we got through all that. She started talking about that, so I'm not going to go down that road. But not long after that, Brother Boyd entrusted me to teach a Sunday school class. 
and I don't, I don't want to go very long on this just because I got something else I feel God has given me. But the, and it was an honor for me to stand in front of a teacher Sunday school class. And it was a privilege. To, and he felt confident in me to teach a Sunday school class. But what, what really stuck out and has stuck out through the years to me is the first Sunday school class I taught wasn't just to, just, only just to the church kids. But his son was the first guy, person I taught Sunday school to. He was the very first Sunday school class I taught. They was in the nursery class. Him and Amy and Alan were the first three that I taught Sunday school to. Me and my wife, well, my wife probably did more teaching than I did, but I was there anyway. But when I felt like he entrusted not just to the church kids, but also his own son. And that stuck out to me because I knew he trusted me. And through the years, he's allowed me to do work with the youth, and he's entrusted me in different things in life. And then when I went to him, when I felt the calling to go to Madison, he talked that through, and he didn't. You know, sometimes I wish he would have been a little more uh, encouraging. The first few times I went, well, several times, for the first probably two years I talked to him. Every time I went, he said, well, we'll pray about that. And so I'd go home after I, finally, after I told my wife what I was feeling, it was probably six months or a year later, after I first started feeling it, I told her, every time I'd come out from a meeting with Brother Boyd, she'd say, what did he say? I said, well, he said he'd pray about it. And I said, she said, did he act like he was encouraging or he felt like that was what he felt like? And I said, not really. <laughs> I kind of left his office kind of sometimes just a little, <laughs> not like I thought, well, maybe this was just a taco dream or something I had. But, <laughs> but he, he just praying about it. So we're just going to pray about it. And so after that, and I'm, I know I'm taking a few minutes, but I just, I honor him so much. Because at, later, in the, when we first got the building in Madison, and he shared his testimony about years before that God laid a hit on his heart to start a church in Madison. And it was many years before I ever felt that calling. And, and, and when I felt that calling and I went to him, and he said the reason he couldn't say that is because he knew if, if, if he said that he had already felt that, that he knew that I would do it, didn't matter what I felt. Because I had that much trust in him, and I think he, he knew that I felt that, had that much trust in him. And so he allowed me to go home worrying and praying, I guess making me pray more harder about it because, because that he wanted to make sure it was right, what God was really dealing with me about it, not just for him. And God has opened the doors through that. And, and, and the, our daughter work is not like most daughter works. A lot of daughter works is you know, the, the pastor, the, the mother church pastor, just kind of give you a, just a thumbnail of that. Most of the time, the home pastor, the mother pastor, is completely does is an over completely everything, and they they actually does most of the services a lot of times, and they, they may have someone that fills in. But because Brother Boyd felt like, and I felt like he had confidence in me, and and I, and I honor that because I don't sometimes I feel unworthy, but I felt like he he had enough confidence in me that he 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 supportive every way he can. But he allows it's, it's it's my my church and our church and, and it's, it's part of this church and it's just an outreach part of this church. It's nothing thing, but he's not got his thumb on everything we do. I mean, he's there for direction. He's there for everything. But as as we've he's opened the door of that and we've really allowed that and God is blessing us there. And but I honor that. I honor him for having that much trust in me 
because, you know, as sometimes I don't see that in myself and he has, he's brought me to a higher level and he's brought me to places in my life today. So today I honor him today, but God, when brother boy, brother Rayleigh actually asked me about speaking today, just, I started praying about it and God, God opened the my mind will want to talk to you about this one topic, the duties of a shepherd. But before I start my message, I want to read something that's is really true, but it's kind of hilarious too sometimes. It's the pastor's plight. A past, the pastor of a church is in a precarious position. He can't please everyone, it has been said. If he is young, he likes experience. If his hair is gray, he's too old for the young people. If he has several children, he has too many. If he has no children, he is setting a bad example. If he preaches from his notes, he has canned sermons and is too dry. If he doesn't use notes, he has not studied and he's not very deep. If he is attentive to the poor people in the church, they claim he is playing to the grandstand. If he pays attention to the wealthy, he is trying to be an aristocrat. If he suggests change for improvement of the church, he is a dictator. If he makes no suggestions, he is just a figurehead. If he uses too many illustrations in his message, he is neglecting the Bible. If he doesn't use enough illustrations, he isn't clear to the people. If he condemns wrong, he is a, he's just cranky. If he doesn't preach against sin, He's a compromiser. If he fails to please somebody, he's hurting the church and he ought to leave. If he tries to please everyone, he is a fool. If he preaches about money, he's just a money grabber. If he doesn't preach spiritual giving, he's failing to develop the people of the church. If he drives an old car, he is ashamed to his congregation. If he drives a new car, He's just setting his affections on earthly things. If he preaches all the time, the people get tired of hearing him, the one man. If he invites guest speakers, he is shrinking his responsibilities. If he receives a large salary, he's a missionary. If he receives only a small salary, well, it proves he's not worth much anyway. According to the 2004 January-February issue of the Christian Examiner, this is, a, this is a serious statement here. According to the January-February issue of the Christian Examiner, 2004, 1,400 to 1,600 Christian leaders leave the ministry every month. That's a staggered number, but it's so true. Today, if you will, I'm going to get to my message today. If John chapter 21... In verse 15, the Bible says, So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16 says, He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. And in some translations, the Bible says, take care of my sheep. Verse 17 says, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, 
lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him, him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. There's a plaque above Brother Boyd's door on the inside of his door that says, through this door I pass to, to face my ultimate goal, and that is to feed my sheep. He, when we, we, became, we got the building in Madison, he gave me a plaque that represents the same as his. Put over the door of my office and my thing, and I take that, that, that command seriously every time I walk through that door. As I walk through this door to do my ultimate challenge, and that's feed the sheep. Jesus commanded three things of the apostles. He said it, he first told them to, for Jesus to he said, feed the lambs. You know, and lambs is a you know, young sheep, and lambs need milk. They need the basics of the gospel and the simple biblical precepts to grow. Then he says, then he says, or some translation says in the second verse, he says, take care of the sheep. That means we have to do more than just to feed them. We have to take care of them. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. Finally, he said to, the, to him in the third verse, he said, feed my sheep. And the point is that is he must move on beyond feeding the lamb's milk. And he must feed the sheep solid food. And that's what he has to do to us. He has, the shepherd has to feed more than just milk and just basic knowledge. But he has to go forward past that and feed us something solid. My grandmother, Granny O'Neill, she... she Grew up in this church. She was in this church from Wave, was one of the founders of this church. And my granny, she always said, through Brother Boyd's ministry, she told me, she said, Brother Boyd, pattern your life like him. Because he can feed the, from the youngest to the oldest in one message. He said it may be from a, from a young child to the oldest saint or the most mature saint in the congregation. Everyone there leaves from his message fed. And that is, a, that is more than just saying words. That was from a generation before that had, had words and spoke. And she said it was what she loved about. She said the song, sometimes the new songs in her life. She said that sometimes that wasn't her style of music. But she said she knew that Brother Boyd was one of, had needing to feed everyone. And when she, Brother Boyd came here, you know, he was a young, young to be a, a pastor. And so some of the older generation, though I, I feel this because I was there, I, they picked him up because they, they, they knew he was young. And they knew he didn't go some of the same things that they did, you know, for the same style of music and some of the same things they did. But they felt like he needed to feed everyone. And a true pastor has to feed everyone in a, in a congregation. The duties of taking care of the sheep, there's a few duties I want to talk about. The first duty as a shepherd you have to take care of is watering the sheep. The Bible says in Genesis 29 and 3, it says, And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the whale's mouth and watered the sheep. Water a lot of times is often referred to as the Holy Spirit in the Bible. A shepherd will lead his flock to the water regularly, and he will roll the stone away to water his sheep. A sheep has to have water just like any other living thing, so he has to care them daily, multiple times a day, to water the sheep. A true shepherd will com continually care his sheep to water, to, to, to nourish them. He'll roll the stones of, heart, of hard hearts away and to prepare the, heart, prepare the hearts to be receptive 
to the nourishment of the Holy Spirit. This can, can only can be accomplished by rolling away the stone of our self culture so that a lot of God's written word can shine through the teaching and through the prayer life and through the living in obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ. He has to roll away the stone sometimes in our life. He has to roll our flesh away and to prayer, prepare us for the word of God. And a true shepherd will continually to, to be watering his sheep. The second point, um, I want the second duty is grooming the sheep. A shepherd grooms his sheep daily, keeps them clean and free of contamination from the things in their life. So many times in life, you know, a true shepherd, he has to continually to, to, to groom or to, to clean and free us from the contaminations of this world. The world of this flesh and from the, from the devil. He even prepares them to be, to be disciples and followers of a good shepherd so they will in turn go and be ministers to others. Our pastor for the last 30 years, he grooms us sometimes in life. He's com- com- constantly cleaning us and con- preparing us to be good ministers and go out into the world and to do things for, for God and, and be, be, be disciples. And that's what a true shepherd does. He has to, com- he has to develop disciples in his life. Part of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and 20, the Bible says he teaches them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And he teaches us and he's taught us in this church to, to, to do the things of the word of God. We apply that word of God to our life. The third duty of a shepherd is shearing. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 18 and 4, it says you are to give the good fruits of of your grain, new wine, oil, and the first wool from the shearing of your sheep. Today is a time of sheep must be sheared. You know, sometimes we think of shearing the sheep. We think of, you know, they're just shearing the, the wool to be sold. But so many times a shepherd has to shear the sheep to, uh, for their protection. Because if their wool gets so long, it gets tangled in the the thistles and the contain gets contangled up in all the things, and after a while, the wool gets so tangled that it's not good for nothing. For the benefit of the sheep, we must be sheared, and as, as we have to have a shepherd to shear us sometimes. This is a time in a, a pastor's life, a, a part of a pastor's ministry that sometimes is the, the part that he really probably dreads the most. This is times when a sheep must be sheared; it must be disciplined. It must be encouraged and sometimes rebuked to keep them fit for the service of the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, says, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with long, long surfing and doctrine. Sometimes the pastor, he has to shear us, he has to clean us, he has to rebuke us, to to have us to be where we can be, what we want to be in life. The, the next uh, <clears throat> duty of a shepherd is he must deliver lambs. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and 11, he tends to the flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. A shepherd must deliver lambs to have a growing church. The Bible says we have to be, we have to be born. There had to be new birth in a church. The Bible says in John 3 and 3, it says, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
So if you don't have new birth, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. And our pastor has to lead us through that. He has to lead us through new births in our lives. Only Lord, only Jesus can save us and cause us a person to be born again. Or he's the only one can be his name be applied to our life. But when a lamb is newly born, the shepherd still has responsibilities. When a lamb is born, they still have an old man wrapped around them. And they need the help to put off that old man and put on the new lamb. This is called discipleship. And so in life, sometimes our pastors, he is new birth, his new birth is born. A pastor cuddles that new birth. A pastor, he takes that and he, he keeps the extra little eye on that person, on that sheep. And he, he has to tend to that a little more extra sometimes. And a shepherd has to be willing to, to, to spend a little extra time than he does on the adult sheep. And I thank God we have a shepherd that don't mind spending that extra little time. An extra little minute, a few minutes on in, in, with that young, tender, new growth. And we must, he must lead and touch. Then third, the fourth, the next duty is leading the sheep. A shepherd leads the flock in the world while helping them not to be of the world. A shepherd, in, in, the, in the duties of a shepherd, he leads the sheep every day. He has to get up in the morning and he leads the sheep out of the pen. As you study a, a shepherd and a sheep, a lot of times the sheep, a shepherd, you know, you don't, he don't drive the sheep out of the pen. He actually walks before them. And he, they, the sheep actually follow him into the field. They follow him into the pasture. Because this is what he's going before them. And he's putting his life you know, he's looking out for dangers. And as he walks into the meadows and walks into the fields, what he's looking for is something that may jump out from behind the rock or something to do this. You have to have a shepherd, a shepherd's heart, to go before the flock. And sometimes I've heard him, and he's gave me this response. Sometimes when you stand, the leader that stands up, the highest head is one who usually takes the shots. And so, so many times in life, you know, whoever's, whoever's front, whoever the leader is, sometimes whoever's in front, you know, they're the ones that's going to tell the first battle. They're going to be the ones that face the first thing. And it may not even be their fault. But so many times in life, a shepherd, a true shepherd, is in the front of the, front of the flock. And he may take some casualty because he may take some wounds that was not even attended for him. But he is there for them, leading them. He shepherd leads the flock out and teaches them to stay together in unity. He protects them from wolves and beasts in the world. And that's what a with true shepherd, he, he, he's there protecting us. A true shepherd, the next duty is he, won, uh, he takes care of wandering sheep. A true shepherd will always make the effort to look for wandering sheep. The Bible says in Luke 15 and 4, it says, what, a, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. And so at times in life, you know, when we, when we have drifted, you know, the Bible clearly says that many people have and will continue to wander from the faith. That's a sad part of church is people that continually are wandering. In a flock, you know, we have people on the outside. 
So I mean, people that's kind of hugging on the outside of the, 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 the herd, sometimes they wander off on, in, into places in their life. But we have a shepherd that don't mind going back and looking for that one. Looking for that one sheep and leaving the 99 in safety and going back and look for that one. Because that one lost sheep, the Bible says, God re- rejoices over that one. The, th- the, la- the last, I think it's the last, duty as Talwin talked about is, is protection. The shepherd would bring his flock home to the fold at night. Then he would lay down in the gate physically to protect the sheep from the wolves coming into the sheepfold. He literally puts his life on the line for his sheep. And today, you know, as a shepherd, you know, the shepherd, he would, whatever it took, you know, he would protect his sheep. As he brought him into the fold at night, he would lay down in the gate or in the, cave, in the mouth of the cave and put his life between the sheep and any danger that come forth. The Bible says, John and 10 and 10 says, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am a good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. The wolf catches them and scatters the sheep, and the hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and care not for the sheep. Today I'm glad we don't have a hired preacher. We have a true shepherd. We have a true shepherd that will put his life between any danger that comes between us. We have a shepherd that doesn't, doesn't, is not shy about getting there. He, he cares more than just for the, the money or the paycheck. I believe that's why you see ministers leave the gospel. It's because they're there just for the wrong reasons. They're not there for, because they care for the sheep. They're there for just the monetary value or the monetary gain they can get. But today I'm glad we have a shepherd that doesn't mind putting his life on the line for us. He's been there when we couldn't make it nowhere else. We learn a lot from the scriptures about being a, about shepherds in scripture. The shepherd is the watchman on the wall. There are not, a, not, a, there are not only salvaged wolves out there in this world. There are salvaged wolves who are entered the fold at alarming rate. There's people that can, there's dangers that can come into the fold. And we have to trust our watchman on the wall. Today as our shepherd has been feeding our lamb, feeding the lambs and he's been bringing this, them to good pasture and lamb water and water, grooming and clipping them and delivering new lambs, leading them and teaching them to stay together, going off after the wandering lost ones and protecting the sheep in the field and in the fold. He's been doing that for over 30 years. He's been doing that because he's, he cares about the sheep. And he's been doing that because he loves every one of us. And he loves us enough to care for us. But today as I've talked about these duties of a shepherd, we have to allow him to be our shepherd. We can't con- constantly be that wandering sheep. Sometimes we're not careful. We, we might find ourselves off wandering off. We allow the devil to lead us off down a road or something. But we continually, we got we to gotta not just keep being that wandering sheep. Because we've we got to trust that our shepherd, we've got to give him that, 
that room my wife talked about in our life. We got to give him that space. We got to let him let him trim us because we we have that ability. We can shut him out of our life, or we can allow him access to our life. And to be a healthy church, we need a shepherd that has the has the ability, has the willing, and we're willing to give him that ability to whatever he sees. If he sees me going down a wrong path, I've told him this in private, and I've told him this many times. If he sees me drifting, please come get me. Before I get wandered off and get lost, please come drag me back in. Don't worry about how it's going to hurt my feelings because I'd rather have hurt feelings for one day than be lying lost for eternity because he's the man standing on the wall and he's just a man and I know it. he puts on his shoes just like I do every morning or like everyone else here, but, but he is our shepherd. He is the one God called. It's not one we hired. He's the one that God called. And he is our shepherd. And he is, we have to give him that ability in our life today. And I'm clo- as I close today, I honor, honor them. But as I close, today I want to ask Brother Boyd to come, come up. And I, as we, uh, <laughs> as a church, I want to, we've been, uh, <laughs> you nervous? <laughs> as a church we've got a token of some, a little bit of our appreciation to give to you it's, it's something that's up over a period of time we've it's been collected has been here today but this is a token we gave to you it's probably nothing that we can for what you gave to us but today I wanna, we want to give you this as a church You can be seated. We won't be, but just a moment. Um, the, the scripture says it is better to give than it is to receive. And I can tell you that it's a lot easier to give than it is to receive. And, um, but we have been very, very humbled by the events of this weekend. And uh, pray and ask God to bless you and to touch you. I'm very, very thankful for every person that has been a part of this special weekend. And... Uh, over the last several days, we have not been able to pass by the church day or night without seeing cars in the parking lot. And, um, and then we had strict orders not to, to be in certain parts of the, of the church. And so when you're just used to running around here carefree, I had to be very, very intentional um, because um, you just, just kind of ramble around all, or all during the week, all during the day. But... Uh, Thank you for last night, and I want to also say thank you for our young people last night who did just excellent, absolutely excellent. And um, just a first-class presentation of servitude, and uh, I just want to thank them for a job well done. I do have just a couple of things that I want to say. I'll take just a moment, but I, I do... I do want to give, the Bible says we should give honor to where honor is due. And I want to, to first say to Brother Rayleigh and Sister Rayleigh what, a, uh, what true friends they have been. And um, we 
have just been a lot of miles together and their faithfulness and their friendship has been more and meant more than money could ever uh, pay for or words could ever express. Uh, Brother Rayleigh is a very unassuming person and uh, he doesn't interject himself into situations at all. But um, I can talk to Brother Rayleigh about anything and have talked to him, I guess, almost about everything through the years. And uh, one of the things that, uh, many characteristics that I could point out, but when we are discussing something, whether we agree or disagree, when we walk outside of my office, he doesn't take his opinion and press that on anybody else. He has been very, very, very supportive, and I appreciate that. It doesn't make him a yes man. I'm not inferring that at all. But he is, uh, he is just a confidant. He is a man that, um, that I love and trust. And we're very thankful for his entire family being here today. You've honored us to be here. God bless you. I'm also delighted and very, very thankful to have my oldest brother, Randy, here. And um, I've shared this with him privately. And uh, I've talked about it a little bit publicly. When I was just a teenage boy, he opened his heart and his home and uh, took us in, took me in. And, um, and, and he had four stair-step children himself. <laughs> and two, two of them are here today. You have just honored me beyond the telling. I'm thankful to have Jan and Lisa here. And uh, we appreciate you being here. And so uh, that's all right. And uh, they were just let, letting me live with them until I got my got, got on my feet. That was my, I said, I'll just let me get on my feet. I'm almost there. <laughs> I'm almost there. Just going to get on my feet. But I do appreciate that because, Randy, it was divine steps that uh, brought all that about and and um, and your willingness to do that led me to a church um, that a young lady by the name of Jackie Ziegler had only started attending just a few weeks prior to that. And, um, and so as she has always said through the years, she said that I chased her until she caught me. And, uh, <laughs> and I can live with that. But God used you to set a certain trajectory in, in my life as a very, very young man. And I will never forget that. And uh, I have often prayed and called your name in prayer and, and thank the Lord for that. And so I appreciate that. I um, will tell you that January the 16th of 1989 was anything but a typical day for my family and I. That was the day that we would arrive here. We had been elected to serve as your pastor just two days before on the 14th and two days later on the 18th. I would preach my first message from behind, or at least on this on this platform, as your pastor. I don't think I took a formal text. I just felt like I wanted to speak from my heart. And, uh, and so the Lord touched us and blessed us from that very beginning. And from those humble beginnings, um, we were all just trying to ensure that we moved together forward. And so we did. At that time, I was only 26 years old. And uh, while I had been in the ministry for a few years, it was certainly my pastorate, my first pastorate, and I didn't realize it would be 
the only one. And, uh, but it was our first pastorate. But you were patient. Your prayers and patience and support began to help Jackie and I develop what God would need for us to be. I read that honeybees developed, or that honeybees developed their queens by nurturing her with the finest of nectars. And with that being said, whatever we have become through the years or whatever we may become in the future has been a joint effort on everybody's part. You've loved us and prayed for us and supported us and you've remained true. There truly, I think, is not a price that we could attach to something like that. Through the years, we've all heard stories of churches that were wounded by their leaders. And we've also heard stories of leaders that were wounded by their congregations. However, it just seems that somewhere along the line, we all decided that this was not the kind of relationship that we wanted to have with one another. We decided that we would love each other through the good times and through the bad times. And history has certainly proven that we've experienced both and all points in between. However, one thing that we all recognized was the fact that God brought us together and it was his divine appointment. Therefore, we marched on through the good seasons and through the trying seasons. You've given us several gifts through the years and some of them literal gifts. And, uh, and we've always been very, very appreciative of that. However, the greatest gift you have given us has not been gifts that could be measured by dollars and cents. Those, but the, the greatest gifts were gifts like trust. As a very young ministry couple, you trusted us with the direction of this church, literally and spiritually. You trusted us to follow the Lord and seek what God was wanting to do in, the, in this local assembly. You trusted us with your children to love them, to guide them, and to teach them. We've laughed together and we've cried together. I specifically remember uh, preparing for a wedding of a young couple in this church one day while at the same time I was preparing the funeral of a beloved saint that had tragically lost her life that would be held in the same building only 24 hours later. We laughed together. We cried together. I also remember sitting in the maternity uh, waiting room at North Florida Regional in the Women's Center. And while I was there rejoicing with one family, I received a phone call. And that phone call was the announcement of the passing of one of the saints in our church. I can remember sitting there with such mixed emotions. I sat in the waiting room. I looked at the door that led into, into the maternity room. And I just remember thinking about that door that separated one couple who were rejoicing over the life of their child and their future and their eyes were bright and their eyes were glistening. But while I sat there, I realized that just a few miles away, there was another family in our church that was grappling with the loss of a loved one. So I can say we've laughed together and we've cried together. We've made decisions that worked and we've made decisions that didn't work. But through it all, we just decided we would love each other and move on. Another gift you've given us is the gift of love. You've loved my family and our family, and I could never say thank you enough for that. To be sure, we have not been the perfect family, but we've never stopped trying to be a balanced family. You've loved us, literally loved us, through some of the stormiest seasons of our life. You loved us through seasons where we thought the sun would never shine again, but you stayed by our side, held up our hands, and lifted us up in prayer. A few years ago now, our family grew by one. 
when Sarah gave her hand in marriage to Justin. Of course, Sarah was not a stranger to this congregation and not a stranger to your heart. However, you never held her at arm's length to make her prove anything, but you just accepted her new role in our family. You've loved and you've honored her from the very beginning, and for that, I can say that we're all appreciative. In short, you've allowed us to grow, and because of that, we've been able to grow together. And so while I truly appreciate the rich heritage that we have as a church, I reflect on that a whole lot. I'm so thankful for the heritage that we have as a church. And so with great deference, I say what I am about to say. I'm thankful for our past, but I want to be very, very clear when I tell you that our best days are not there, but our best days are before us. And I'm thankful for that in Jesus' name. think I could do this I said I would just cry and I'm gonna try not to do that and I didn't bring my notes up here because I want to just talk from my heart I absolutely know that we didn't make this it's not about me and brother Boyd it's really about all of us and I'm so thankful that you said that and several have said that I just I don't want anybody to feel like we think it was just about us it's not it's it never has been when I first came here I had no clue what to do, how to do, what was expected, what wasn't expected. But I can say this, that y'all loved me in spite of me. And I thank you for that. You taught me how to love, how to be patient, because you were patient with me when we did things that wasn't, you know, I've had to ask forgiveness for things. I've had to apologize for things. And, and you know what? I'm not above doing that because I'm human. And Brother Boyd said that the best thing you could do is to love our family, and you have. I told somebody this, I think Sister Donna, last night. We were talking, and I had told Brother Boyd, I didn't know when we would ever pastor, or if we would. But I told him, I said, when we ever do, I want to be somewhere where Justin can have roots. And so I teased about it last night. He has roots, and they run very deep, very deep. And then he gave us Sarah. And she has deep roots here, too. And I'm thankful for that. But the thing that really makes my heart swell is your children that you've entrusted me with, whether they're now older or whether they're young. You've entrusted us with them, and you've allowed us to be in their life, but you've also allowed them to be in our life. And so it has been, to me, I'm their grandmother. I'm their mother. I try to treat them like I treat my own son and talk to them that way because I truly respect them and I truly respect you all. I have a really cute story from Braxton since he's here today, I can tell it. One day, we were, <laughs> one day when we were on the platform, Braxton was, we were all cutting up a little bit and Braxton said, when y'all didn't, when y'all got me and y'all were babysitting me, he said, y'all didn't switch our socks, did you? Because that's how Sister Joy told us to keep the socks on which boy was which because you couldn't tell them apart when they were little. So just say Braxton had on brown and Britt had on blue. So Braxton said, y'all didn't switch our socks, did you? I said, I promise. I promise we didn't because he said he started feeling like he might be Britt one time and Britt might be him. I was like, I promise we didn't switch socks. <laughs> no socks were switched. But those are just fun things to me. My memories, this is my family. My son thinks that all of y'all are his aunts and uncles. 
He loves you. And he, he has been blessed by the influence y'all have had in his life. And I, as a mama, thank you for that. I told another young lady here not long ago, I said, you had no clue when you brought your child here, the mentors that he would have in his life. And I truly believe that because my son has benefited from that. He's loved everybody. He loves Lana more. <laughs> Even more than me. <laughs> he loves Lana more. And I promised Danny last night because he told me I couldn't embarrass Brother Boyd or, or them. So I'm not going to embarrass you, Danny. <laughs> I just want to tell you guys that I love you. I don't know how else to say it, but that I love you. Y'all have been good to us. You've loved us. You've taken care of us. You've prayed for us. Most of all, you've loved us. I'll say it again because that's what you've done. I truly, from my heart, thank you. And I love all of you, and I do look forward to our years, and I'm not going to cry. <laughs> I rejoice at your, your progress and your rejoicing. When you cry, I cry. And I want to be worked out of a job. I can't play the songs that they play, you know. I can't hardly play the old songs we used to play. But I, I want to be worked out of a job, so it makes my heart swell when I see the youth, young men and the youth, and the young ladies, married couples, stepping up to the plate. Because truly, and that's what we're here for. It's not about what we can do. It's about what we all can do together. So thank you for 30 years and for however many more years that God allows us to be here. We love you and, and thank you. Praise God. We can stand. That's fine. I did, I did admit, want to mention one thing. I, I remember uh, with just a few days after we were here as pastor, I can remember grown, uh, grown men, because uh, I was 26, so I mean, but I can remember grown men um, that would walk up to me and say, here's the situation, what do you think we ought to do? And I can just, I remember that so well. And it was like an awakening that you have to lead. You have to lead. I had been an evangelist and I don't want to minimize or minimize the role of an evangelist. But really, you, an evangelist, you're just to preach. You know what I mean? This, you're just preaching. And it was just a completely different role. But I just appreciate the trust that you have placed in us. We love you. My wife has already said it. We love you more than words could ever say. And uh, I know it's been a little bit of an unorthodox service and even our weekend, but thank you again for all the work. And let's just move forward together. What do you say? And see what God has in our future. I think it's bright. Lord, I love you today. And I thank you for this wonderful congregation that you've allowed us to pastor and to befriend. And they have befriended us. And we pray today your anointing will just continue to rest on our lives, not just from this day, but into our tomorrows. We know, God, that you alone understand what, what our tomorrows hold, but we're putting our trust there. And so I want to thank you for every family in this church. And I thank you, Lord, for the members that are to come to this church and for the people that are yet to walk through the doors because I believe that our future is so much brighter than our past could ever, ever have reflected. And so we pray, God, for your anointing upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.